I am joined this morning by photographer and author Karen B. Davis, who has written a photographic essay, it's a book, called Connecticut Gardens, a celebration of the state's historic public and private gardens. Karen, good morning. Thanks for joining me again. And tell us what your new book is all about. Good morning, Wayne. Um, Well, it's a photography book because I'm a photographer, and it was written by Chris Laurie, who is a landscape designer, and it features 44 breathtaking gardens across the state of Connecticut, um, historic, private, and public. And it's also, as with my other two photography books, it's a travel book. So if you have the book, you can look in the back and you can have an opportunity to visit all the gardens in the book that are open to the public. Karen, I wouldn't ask you to pick your favorite child, but of those 44 gardens, which one is your favorite? Oh, well, you know, I like them for different reasons. Um, Wickham Park in Manchester, Connecticut is open to the public. It's a very, very beautiful park because there's 10 different gardens there. There's like an Italian garden, a Scottish garden, an Irish garden, etc. Sleepy Cat Farm in Greenwich, which is private, but he does open a few days a week, is really not a few days a week, a few times a year. Um, is unlike anything you've ever seen and anything you've probably seen in the United States. It's just grand and magnificent. And he took his inspiration from studying gardeners and gardening uh, in the in the current world, in the ancient world, uh, in Europe, in the United States, and read a lot and looked at a lot of art and design, et cetera, before creating this garden. And I guess I, I of the private garden, uh, sorry, the public gardens, no, excuse me, the historical gardens, I, I loved Osborne um, Kellogg Garden in Derby. Uh, when I was there, all the irises were in bloom. It was just popping with purple, and I liked the linear layout. But I like them all, truthfully. Those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. So they're all tied for first. I'm intrigued by the private gardens aspect. How many of these private gardens that you photographed and put in your book were done by landscapers, and how many maybe were done by people who owned the property, who knew what they were doing, and just developed the gardens by themselves? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'd say it's definitely a mix. Uh, River Road Farm, which um, was designed and taken care of by uh, Rob and Bill, they did everything. They were out there every day, weeding, clipping, pruning, and it was you know, they were retired at this point, and it, and it was a love of and joy for what they were doing. So this is how they spent their time, and they really loved it. Um, I would say it's half and half, though. There are other people who might have designed it and then had somebody else build it and care for it, or they might have helped in the initial stage of doing some of the, the physical work themselves, but now it's under the care of gardeners. So it goes all different ways. Do you have an example of a particular garden, whether it's public, private, historic, where they really focus on finding some form of color to go during the entire growing season? It isn't like it all pops out in June or July, but they get some early color, maybe as simple as forsythia, but they even get some late color into October and November, and that's all part of the plan. It is part of the plan. There's a garden... um, 
that has been designed by a man named Dinyar Wadia. He is an architect in New Canaan, and his there's something in bloom all year round in his garden. There's always color. So, so one way he does this is he's, in addition to what's in the ground, is he has tons and tons of potted plants all over the property that are just stunning. Does that phrase private gardens mean that the average person on the street cannot get in there to see them and enjoy them, or are sometimes those private gardens open to the public? Well, I'd say half of them in the book are not open to the public, and the other half, uh, they open them up at certain times of the year to the public. And then um, other times, garden clubs and the like, or perhaps there's a charity event, that kind of thing, the public can get in that way if you're part of that event or club. Which raises the question, if half of them are private, how did you find out about them and how did you gain access to take the pictures? You know, it's like anything else. Once somebody knows you're doing a book, they tell you about a garden. And then they tell you about another garden. Then that person tells you about another garden. Uh, Initially, I did my research by soliciting garden clubs and asking if they knew anything in the area. And then coincidentally, a very good friend of mine knew a woman named Colette Rogers who was part of a garden club in Greenwich. And she told me about a few gardens. And those gardens were so beautiful that they really enhanced the book. And I happen to live in Lyme, Connecticut, so I sought help from the Lyme Garden Club and they told me about a couple of gardens here that also were beautiful and really, again, enhanced the book. I don't feel the book would have been the same without these particular gardens because some of the historic gardens, they're all, at the time they were designed, were for utilitarian use. So they're not as um, stunning, let's say, in the way they look because their purpose was to grow food, whereas these other gardens, are more colorful because you can grow flowers and add bridges and walkways, etc. Yeah, you mentioned the historic gardens. The subtitle of your book is A Celebration of the State's Historic Public and Private Gardens. These historic gardens, sounds like these are open to the public. Just give me a few more examples of what some of the areas that people can go visit that are the historic sites that are beautiful with the gardens. Well, there is an association called Connecticut Historic Gardens. And on their website, they list the 15 gardens that are in the book. And actually, now there's 16 because they just added the Mark Twain house. So they're all over the state. But in order to be considered a historic garden and be in their, um, in their association, the, how, the garden has to have a historic house attached to the property that's open to the public. So we do have other historic gardens in the state that are not in the book, but all of these are under the auspices of Connecticut Historic Gardens. So um, there's gardens in every county in Connecticut. And then the second part of that subtitle is public. Give me some examples of some of the public gardens that you've got in your book, Connecticut Gardens. Well, Elizabeth Park, of course, uh, most people know this park. It's in um, Hartford and West Hartford. And I just told you about Wickham Park in Manchester. 
There's a beautiful garden at the end of Mason's Island on Ender's Island in Mystic, Connecticut. Um, that's run and by, well, the monks, there are monks, an order of monks that live there, and they tend the garden along with volunteers. Booth Memorial Garden is a beautiful rose garden, a very old rose garden, and that is in Stratford. The city of New Britain has an amazing rose garden designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, who is considered the uh, gr- the grandfather or the father of landscape architecture. And he's a man who was born in Hartford, Connecticut, but he designed Central Park, for example, and other notable gardens. And uh, there's a garden, uh, the Bellamy Faraday House, where the Lilac Girls, which is a famous book, was written about, and that's in Litchfield. I can't remember the exact town. Oh, Bethlehem. Uh, Hollister House Garden, gorgeous garden mirrored after Sissinghurst and English Gardens uh, inspired, and that's in Washington, Connecticut. And the rest you're going to have to buy the book to get because my memory can't catch them all there. Karen, were there any gardens in your book featured from this part of the state up here in the quiet corner? Uh, I'm trying to think. Probably the closest to you might have been the garden in Derby, but I don't think so off the top of my head. Derby's downstate. Derby's in the Naugatuck River Valley. This sounds to me like a great coffee table book, the book that people come over to your house and they see it on the coffee table and they pick it up and they start thumbing through it because it looks like not just a good read, informational read, but it's eye candy. It is, and the essays are not overwhelmingly long, but they definitely have great information. This book is not a how-to book. It's not about the horticulture, botanical achievements. It's really about... It's about the stories. Who are the people that designed these gardens? Who are the designers? Why do we garden? Why were public parks introduced in the United States way back when? Why are they important? And how were historic gardens used? So we intentionally move from utilitarian purpose to aesthetic use throughout the book. And that's why it begins with the historic, and then we have the public, and then we have the private. Um, You know, a lot of people don't know how the American Parks Movement began, but when we entered into the Industrial Age, all these factory workers needed clean air and fresh air. And after working in dark factories, they went home to cramped row houses, and religious and political leaders and social activists said, hey, they need outdoor spaces, too. And so that's how the parks developed. So it, it, it is a bit of an educational book if you don't know about these things, but it's not um, so fact-packed that it's, A, boring or overwhelming. And I wonder if any of the garden owners were asked or talked about the challenges of coming up with these colorful gardens in a state that's gone from extreme drought conditions not that long ago to no drought conditions, and now we're, in some areas of the state, back in it again. We don't get an evenly distributed amount of water around here, and I guess that probably is a challenge for anybody that's got a garden. Well, I was very lucky, actually, in shooting the book because uh, that year, which was last year, everything was May and June and peaked early. We had all that rain, but then July and August were dry. So 
uh, it, the book wouldn't have looked as good then. And one person in the book, uh, he has a garden called Wittishin's Labyrinth, and he was a um, actually a botanist. And he kept testing the limits of what could grow in Connecticut. So his garden is very unusual compared to the rest. It's slightly, you know, there's some subtropical things in there. He has a greenhouse in which he grows stuff. And he doesn't cultivate. So if a milkweed, for example, lands in the path, he doesn't move it. He just leaves everything where it lands and works around what the landscape is dictating instead of, you know, manicuring everything perfectly to where he thinks it should be. Karen B. Davis, an award-winning photographer specializing in architecture, interiors, hospitality, landscape design, and travel photography. The shutterbuggers around here, Karen, want to know what do you use for a camera? Because the pictures, of course, to be in a book have to be high quality. So what is your camera of choice? I use a Canon uh, 5D Mark IV. Um, but it's all about light. And I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning to get to some of these locations uh, by 5.30 a.m. You know, I had to drive quite a ways. And the images looked the way they do in part because of the time of day I went to capture the garden. Do you ever have one of those I wish I had a camera win moments when maybe you don't carry the camera with you and you stumble across a beautiful site? Maybe you come back the next day with a camera. Well, I I have those feelings all the time. And if you come back the next day, it's definitely going to be different. But I think it's important for me as a photographer to experience my life and live my life without a camera at times. Um so that I could take everything in and just see and enjoy and then later have something to give back in that way. Connecticut Gardens, a celebration of the state's historic public and private gardens, is 272 pages with color photos throughout, and it just came out. Actually, it says here it's coming out in May 2023, so it's hot off the press. Karen, how do people get a copy? Well, first I encourage them to look to their local bookstores and gift shops because it is going to be in places across the state. They can definitely go to my website and email me, and I'm happy to send them a signed copy. And at a last resort, <laughs> they can go to Amazon. And the name is C-A-R-Y-N-B Davis. Is there a story why your name is spelled that way? It's a little unusual. You know, my mother said she was lying in the hospital bed waiting for me to come, and she was just running through different ways to spell Karen and came up with that. The book Connecticut Gardens, published by Globe Pequot, say people that published my book on UConn basketball. Karen, looks like a great book. Thanks for joining me this morning. So much, Wayne. Have a great day. Karen B. Davis, photographer, our guest this morning on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.